Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And welcome to the tour report from Secret Golf. We have been spoil rotten with major golf. Bearing in mind, we are onto the sixth and final major of this crazy extended season in 2021. Of course, four majors of the year and the Open Championship. We have missed it, Elk, with it being cancelled in 2020. Yes, it'll be a big relief, I think, for everyone in the UK to finally turn their eyes to Wimbledon last week, now to the Open Championship, back to tradition. Diane, too bad about England not being able to beat Italy last night. That would have been the capper in the middle of those two tournaments. But uh, yes, back to Royal St. George's, one of the greatest venues that the uh, England has to offer in the uh, Open rotation. I've been there a couple of times. One week was okay. The other one was a disaster. And well, about disasters. I'll talk about that because it wasn't all entirely your fault. Your day was it eighty six? I had an eighty six. Oh, it was okay. two thousand and eleven. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll move on and talk about that at some point. But actually, Royal St George's is in a great little town called Sandwich in Kent, not far from London. And actually, it was the first course in the Open Championship rotation outside of Scotland. Now, this course is a beast. And you'll see behind me, you know, one of the main characteristics of Royal St George's is the fact that quirky is a word that's used to describe it a lot. You've got all these mounds and bumps and undulation and elk. I mean, that can just mean that the ball can squirt off anywhere. I think there's so many, you know, so many people will be talking about St. George's. It was in the James Bond movie. It's right on the coast. It's sandwich. It's all sorts of play on names and words. But this tournament, this course, Diane, has given us so much unpredictable results. And it even goes as far as an unpredictable bounce. You better not take your eyes off the tee shot or maybe when you hit that tee shot down the middle, 
just expect it to go somewhere that you don't think it's going to go because that's what happens at St. George's. We were given Ben Curtis as one of our champions here. Very unpredictable. Darren Clark came out of nowhere to win here in, in 2011. We had a predictable champion in 93. Greg Norman, of course, was number one player in the world at the time. But it's a very unpredictable course. Undulating fairways that are diagonally cut across with bumps and swales. And basically, Diane, this week, we're going to take all the stats out and throw them out the window. We're looking for guys that are in form. We're looking for guys that play good at open championships, guys that are calm, don't blow, don't lose the head when they have a bad bounce, guys that play good in these kind of conditions. And it takes a very certain set of skills and history has shown us that at Royal St. George's. I mean, we use quite a unique set of parameters to do our handicapping every single week anyway. And, you know, we look at a lot of other people who rely so heavily on strokes gained and even those sites and, you know, organizations this week, they have said that it's one of those weeks where their model goes completely out the window. And, you know, we're really going to get into that. But you talk about the unpredictability of Royal St. George's and I think we saw it perfectly in 2003 with Tiger Woods and his opening tee shot on the first, lost the ball, ended up carding a triple bogey seven. In the same year, Jerry Kelly carded an 11 on the first hole without a lost ball. And Shane Lowry, who's the defending Open champion, I heard him in his press conference earlier in the week saying that that first tee shot, first of all, you've got all the pressure of playing in a major, more so on him, who's defending champion, but keeping the ball in play on the fairway, <laughs> on the first and throughout the rest of the 17 holes, that is going to be the challenge. It certainly is. And of course, Darren Clark, when he won here in 2011, was only in the top 50 in driving accuracy, hit it in that little wispy rough, but he was number two in the field at hitting the green from that rough. You yeah. start to think about English players, Europe players like Darren Clark, uh, Oosthausen who played over there, you know, Shane Lowry, Westwood, Fleetwood. How do these, why are they, why do they become better players when they get in these conditions? There's not one course on the whole last two years since they came from the Open Championship in Ireland last time that can prepare them for this challenge this week. Yeah, I mean, and Lynx Golf is its own beast entirely. And, you know, it's very strategic, thoughtful golf. It's not standing on the tee and gouging bomb as far as you can down there. And especially at Royal St. George's, you've got that wispy fescue. The rough is so penal. Think about St. Andrews, where you have, you know, those double fairways and so much space. You're not going to have that here. And it's going to require the guys to be very creative with the course, but also with the conditions, because we know the weather is obviously going to play a factor. Yeah, and the reason that um, all the stats are thrown out the window, Diane, is playing Lynx golf sometimes equates to like playing a pinball machine. You to score in the pinball machine, you've got to hit certain targets and you've got to hit it up certain alleyways. And it really becomes that way. And if you do get out of position on a course like this one, you may have to play sort of diagonally across and take a 40 or 50 you know, feet off to the side of the green in the wispy stuff and get it up and down. I saw Seve Ballesteros, of course, do this regularly. Guys like Jordan Spieth, they know how to do that sort of stuff. So it takes a lot of experience. Guys that are coming over from America, 
basically got no chance on this course. It's just so different and it takes experience. It takes to be informed, confidence, enough courage, and, you know, just a lot of patience to play this course. Yeah. Right. Okay. So we're going to give you our tour report. We're going to really dive into our handicapping this week. And we've got some kind of unique, different factors that we're going to be taking into consideration. We'll give you our re-ranked top 10, then some sizzlers and those all important dark horse picks this week for the Open Championship. This week, it's the Open Championship at Royal St. George's in Sandwich, Kent, which, Elk, you've been there before. I can just picture it. I've seen so many images on TV and online. It just looks like the cutest little place. One thing that's not going to be cute, though, is the course this week. Now, with Lynx Golf Elk, the weather always plays such a big factor. By the standards of what we see in the UK, it doesn't look all that bad this week, but we know that the wind is still going to blow. Yeah, I saw one report that said there's not going to be any rain after Thursday and there was very little wind, but the strongest it was going to blow was 18 miles an hour. And I thought, well, 18 miles an hour, that's like a three-club wind. That's a pretty stout breeze. And when you start to think about what does it take to play well on this golf course, I remember I went back and looked at YouTube of this went through hole by hole on this golf course, Diane, two really super long par threes, both 250, 45 yards. Every par three plays a different direction. So once you get your handle on one idea of the course, then it flips you back the other way. But this course, all the greens are perched up. They keep the grass cut very low. All these jacuzzi type bunkers are strategically placed. And basically, you have to understand the wind, the circumstances to be able to sort of get your ball into play or mm-hmm. into a place that you can play the hole from. And when you get off kilter on any of these link style courses, that's when, you know, anything can happen. Yeah. Um, Interestingly enough as well, and you're really going to see that with some of the names that we present this week in our report, but... Past winners really have come out of the blue here. You mentioned Greg Norman, who won in 93. Okay, not so big a surprise. But in 2003, Ben Curtis entered the week at 396th in the world. Two weeks before that, he wasn't even in the top 1,000. And this was his first major appearance. And then Darren Clark winning 10 years ago, he was 200 to 1 to start the week and uh, Dustin Johnson, a very young Dustin Johnson was runner up. So we're gonna get into that as well in that there's a lot of people that have played the course before. That's obviously gonna be an advantage, but current form is gonna be so important We've had two weeks on the European Tour playing Lynx Golf, the Irish Open and the Scottish Open, and we're really going to be ranking that highly too. Yeah, and, you know, when you think about Ben Curtis, I actually don't know how he did it. Other than I remember watching it and just watching him play such great golf, curved the ball right to left, got the ball in play, putted well, all that. Darren Clark was easier to think about because Clark, being from Ireland, has so much experience playing out of the wispy stuff knows how to get the ball on the green. We talked to Kevin Strillman's caddy, Mike Bester, who was paired with Clark the first two days, said it was just freakish how good he could chip the ball, got himself out of position, chipped it back on the green, made every five, six, seven footer. We know, for example, Davis Love that same year hit the ball better than anyone 
and couldn't make a putt and finished right at the, the top 10. So hitting the ball is one thing, chipping the ball well, putting, you know, sinking the putts around the hole in this wind and, you know, perched up little pieces of the green. I like it because you can't just have one part of your game that's going to make you play well here. You've got to drive it away from the bunkers. I, can't, I don't even have to say you have to drive it well. You have to drive it better than well. You have to drive it. Remember when Tiger didn't hit it in a bunker at St. Andrews? Um, you know, you've got to drive it so well that you get away from these bunkers. Mm-hmm. You've got to hit greens. We know the winner this week's going to hit probably near the almost the, the most greens of anyone. Got to pitch the ball up well, but you've got to sink all these four, five, six footers in these perched up greens in the wind and it's just exposed and it's going to be fun to see it. Staying out of the bunkers, I think that was definitely a good piece of advice that anyone should take heed of when it comes to playing Lynx golf. Right, so we're going to start with our re-ranked top 10 and I just mentioned him a few minutes ago, but the guy that comes in at number one, well, he is a multiple major champion already and he finished runner-up to Darren Clark in 2011. We have Dustin Johnson as our favourite this week in the number one spot. Yeah, Dustin Johnson's had a lazy summer. He's been out of the limelight quite a bit, Diane, but I'm ready to push him back up in there. You know, he knows how to play Lynx golf. Ten years ago when he was here, he almost won this tournament, gave it away when he shanked his second shot. Is it the 14th hole, a par five? It goes along out of bounds on the right. Yep. Shanked that shot out of bounds, almost handed the championship to Darren Clark. But imagine how much better a player Dustin Johnson is or was than he was 10 years ago. I think he's going to step on this golf course. He's the most, probably the most athletic and talented golfer that we have on the uh, on the tour. Can play different shots. Dustin Johnson is a sort of a field player, and I just think this is going to be all familiar to him. And this could be the week for him to basically, Diane, close in on the Grand Slam. He's flying under the radar a little bit right now. I think just in the in the run up, there's so much attention on John Ram, who's the Vegas favourite, um, on Rory McIlroy because there always is around the Open, you know, even Jordan Spieth, Brooks Kepka, and I think one of the reasons that DJ is slightly under the radar is that he, uh, as you said, he hasn't played that much lately. But when he has played, it just we haven't seen that kind of fiery. DJ golf that we were seeing when he won the Masters and kind of the end of 2020. If you had to pinpoint any one part of his game that seems to be lacking right now, what would it be? It was his putting. And it's very clear to anyone that knows DJ has watched him. When he gets going and and things go well for him, it becomes very mundane, very mechanical. When he won the Masters in November, it was like, it was just a matter of the TV, the clock running out because we knew there was not going to be any mistakes made. He was making all those three and four footers. He was just driving it perfect. But when he gets off with his putty and it eats into the rest of his game and eats into everyone else's game, then you feel like you've got to hit it closer. You don't chip as good. If you drive it, miss a fairway, you're almost going to make a bogey. So putting it is always a bit of a question mark for him. But when you go to Lynx Golf, the greens are flatter. They're a little slower. He can hit more pace on the greens. That doesn't mean he's going to do it. I'm just saying he knows this golf course. He understands everything about what it takes to win on this course. Almost did it 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And that's why I've got him up on number one this week. 
Okay. Well, coming in at number two, I mentioned him as being the Vegas favorite. And in his last major appearance, he won <laughs> the US Open for his first major. He played the Scottish Open last week and ended up finishing in a tie for seventh, which sounds good on paper, but I, I mean, it was his to win. John Ram is our number two, and Elk, I watched his final round on Sunday. He missed a lot of short putts, and he's getting a lot better at managing that fiery temperament, but you could tell that he was so annoyed on Sunday at the start of his round. Yeah, it feels like when, when you watch John Rahm, he doesn't have to be doing everything perfect for him to be right at the top of the board. You know, he was doing, I watched the Scottish last week as well, and he was just sort of just treading water all weekend, couldn't, couldn't do anything. But the only reason he's number two this week, Diane, he doesn't have the experience that Dustin Johnson has on this particular course. Rahm hits the ball left to right only, exclusively left to right. Swing is short. If it gets windy, doesn't mean anything. I mean, look at all the things that were positive for him when he went to Torrey Pines. He'd won there, plays good there. It was his favourite course. He was a, he know the greens. He grew up on Poana. That's kind of like Dustin Johnson this week. He knows all about it. So Ram is just right there, number two on this ladder. But, hey, it's a coin flip on anyone's game on, on those two players. Of course it is, yeah. And um, another stat that I saw this week is eight out of the ten last major champions have had uh, – tied for 15th finish or better in their last three starts. So we're looking at form. Obviously, John Ram <laughs> ticks that box massively. But the guy coming in at number three, so does he. He won at Memorial after John Ram had to withdraw because of COVID. Then he's had a 15th place finish at the US Open the following week and then a 13th place finish for Patrick Cantley. So we have him at number three. Yes. And Cantlay, in my mind, is a lifer. He's going to be on the tour for so long, and I, I think, I know he's going to win a major. He's very organized, very disciplined. Of course, he won the Memorial. Jack Nicholas's course just completely, you know, tore that course apart. Of course, John Rahm had to withdraw. We know all about that story. But Cantlay has the qualities it takes to play well on this course. Mm -hmm. And those are, he's smart. Yeah. He's got experience. He's really in good form, putts really good, and doesn't get flustered. I mean, those things all sound pretty easy, but when you start to put together a puzzle here to see who's going to play well, Cantlay is right there. I'm telling you, this guy is so steady. And we know that creativity is so important. <laughs> playing Lynx golf and the guys are going to get themselves in trouble this week they're going to miss greens they're going to have to scramble and that is the strength of his game one of them I mean he's second on the whole PGA Tour for scrambling right now and another thing we're looking at this week is late scoring average and Cantley is in the top 10 on the tour as well so with that momentum and stats I know we're not looking at them so closely this week but it's hard to ignore them when they're that good yeah, and when you're a good putter, like the top three we just talked about, you don't stress out if you get on a hole and you have to hit it 50 or 60 feet away from all these pot bunkers because you're not stressed because you can two-putt. Yeah. And when I know my own game, Diane, I didn't have a great record uh, at the Open Championship, mainly because of my putting. I was a runner-up in Muirfield uh, and a third place at St Andrews, but... When I was putting well, I, it was so much better for me because I didn't stress out about missing a green or being 50 feet because, I, you know, I could, I could two putt. So 
uh, that was just my 10 cents worth on being a good putter. Yeah, no, we always want to hear it. So Patrick Cantley is our number three. Coming in at number four, well, we know that irons are going to be super important this week, and this guy is one of the best on tour when it comes to hitting them. Colin Morikawa, who played the Scottish Open last week and had a bit of a taste of Lynx golf, he is our number four. Yeah, I suppose if I was going to say, well, if someone said to me, What's, what would you take if you were going to go out this week Elk, and play this tournament? And I'd say, well, I'd want to be on every green in regulation. I mean, I can't go wrong there. And Morikawa is basically our best, you know, approach player that we have on the tour. He's a young guy. He's pretty fearless. He's a straight driver. The only question mark he has in his bag is he's still messing around with that claw grip. And it's a, it's a question whether or not it works for him each week. He wanted the work day. He's been on and off on this putter for all season. But flatter more readable greens is going to work in his favour this week. Yeah, and he's got that form. Didn't play great at the Scottish, but that could be the warm-up week when it comes to his Lynx golf. And he's back on that big stage this week where he's won a major already at the PGA. So Colin Morikawa firmly at number four. And then coming in at number five, another major champion and someone who won the Oven Championship in 2017. The final round wasn't all that pretty for Jordan Spieth. Do you remember that shot on, was it 13? When he hit it so far oh, yeah. off to the right. <laughs> and then they had to move trailers. And anyway, Jordan Spieth coming in at our number five this week. Jordan Spieth a Ballesteros sort of Jordan <laughs> Spethosteros. That's what I think of when I think of Jordan. <laughs> what was it? Jordan Spethosaurus. <laughs> Spethosaurus is what I'm thinking of when I think of him coming to the Open Championship. He already has an Open Championship, Diane, but if Sebi was with us today and we were handicapping this event, we'd say, oh, well, we'd have to watch the driver, but he hits it up around the green anywhere. You know he's going to chip it on and he's going to make the putt. And when he gets in contention, he stays there. Well, Jordan Spethosaurus is exactly the same player as Sebi. We all love to watch him play because he is unpredictable like this course, Diane. But if he gets the driver away from these bunkers, he will be a factor this week. We were having a little debate back and forth. We just like to throw names out and kind of compare them a little bit and see who we're going to rank higher. But we were really talking about Jordan Spieth and Patrick Cantley and almost comparing the two. And we ranked Cantley a little bit higher this week. But the thing for Spieth and that example I gave at Royal Birkdale in 2017, when the ball was so far out of play and they thought they couldn't find it. They had rules officials. It took like, what, 30 minutes to figure out what they were going to do. But when he gets himself in trouble, which he will, because they're all going to, and the way that Jordan's hitting off the tee occasionally right now, we know he's going to be over there again. But he's so creative and just so good at getting himself out of what seems like an impossible situation. And that just goes hand in hand with playing a course like Royal St. George's. Yeah, you've got to take your medicine. Uh, the, the big thing about these links courses is a lot of players, me included when I play, that I didn't want to take my medicine. I didn't want to play the angle away from the hole and then play a chip and down. I wanted to cut across and try to get it close. And then I paid the penalty for that. And this course is magnificently designed as far as where they put the trouble and when they set these pins behind them. 
it just creates these dynamic angles. And if you're not in the right spot, you cannot get in there. So, you know, Jordan Spieth knows all this, of course. Uh, he's an open champion. And, you know, it's going to be fun to watch him play. Right, Elk, coming in at number five is a guy who looked like a bit of a cert to win the Scottish Open at the weekend, but he ended up losing in a playoff. He had a ticket for the England Euro final against Italy and he couldn't make it down, obviously, and then he lost the playoff. So it wasn't a great end to Sunday for Matthew Fitzpatrick, but he's got that momentum that he can take into his home Open this week. Yeah, I've been watching Matthew Fitzpatrick over here all season, Diane. And when you think about who's the highest ranked European player that's going into the Open Championship, I've got Matthew Fitzpatrick at the top of that board. Of course, here he is right here at number six on our list. But there's a couple of reasons for that. Very nice mid-range player, nice tempo, um, in form, as you noted there, was beating the playoff at the Scottish Open. But he has Billy Foster. Billy Foster caddies for him. Billy Foster's caddy for tons of top players over there, but he caddied for Seve Ballesteros for a ton of, ton of years. And I think that combination is working really well for Fitzpatrick. I mean, Billy Foster is going to steer him around this course. That's, Fitzpatrick's a great putter. I saw him at the Scottish Open, hit it in bunker after bunker, saw him take his medicine, knock it up there, hold the putt and keep going. Very patient. And I think, Diane, this would be an amazing week for an English person here to win on home soil. Mm -hmm. He's 40 to one as well, which those odds are pretty good after the way he played at the Scottish Open. And as we said, playing runner up, uh, finishing runner up. But that is a great piece of knowledge about his caddy. I mean, there's, there's some magic that goes with that, especially if he's going to put himself in the sand. You know, you've got a pretty good caddy <laughs> to, to help you with that. But Matt Fitzpatrick, that would just be, of course, a fairy tale story for him to go out and win, like it was for Lowry at Royal Portrush. And actually, that that year, 2019, that was Fitzpatrick's best finish at the Open in a tie for 20th. And you can't underestimate the crowd support, Diane. Going to England, these people have been locked up for close to two years. They're going to be there's 32,000 people allowed to be at the Open this week. They're going to be very excited to see the golf. You know that. They're going to be really excited to see their own hometown people, their, their own country uh, playing well. Matthew Fitzpatrick will, won't have the pressure on him that he normally would. Billy Foss is going to help him around this golf course. He's in form. This is the ideal way to come into an open championship for him. Okay. So at number seven, we have someone who's looking for their first major victory still, which is kind of hard to believe because his record in majors is top notch. Xander Shoffley, another one who played last week at the Scottish to get a bit of a Lynx taster. He finished in a tie for 10th. So we have Xander coming in at seven this week. Yes, and I, the reason I, I've been on and off Xander all season, he, Hit a few hooks. He lost the tournament to Brooks Kepker in Phoenix. He hooked it in the water at Augusta on 16, gave the tournament away to Hideki Matsuyama, or didn't give it away, just lost his chance to win it. And he's had a few loose shots. I did see on the watching him play Diane recently with a shot tracker that he's added a fade shot, uh, normally always almost exclusively right to left. 
But this guy is just solid. Putts good, uh, you know, cool head, plays great in majors, understands pressure, played good last week at the Scottish, hasn't won in a couple of years. Will this be the week? This would normally, I wouldn't push him up the board this far, Diane, except Shoffley plays so good under the most pressure in the majors. Yeah, he really does. So we have Xander at seven. Coming in at number eight is another one of our higher odds picks for the top 10 at 60 to one, Mark Leishman. Now I was just looking and this is his 10th Open Championship and you forget he's had some amazing results in the UK. He's had a fifth place finish, a sixth place. He finished runner up in 2015. And for us, when we were going through the whole field before we started doing the show, we were all Mark Leishman, <laughs> like pushing his name. Coming off a third place finish at the Travellers just not long ago, he's had a good little break. But Lynx Golf, he's no stranger to this style of play. Now, this is a great week for Leish. You know, he's in form. You know, he was out of form when COVID came and he was had a terrible patch. But now he won in New Orleans with Cam Smith. Uh, he finished second or third last two weeks ago at the, at the uh, Travellers. Uh, and Leash is from Warnable in Australia, the windiest place in Australia. So that's not going to bother Leash. But yeah. it's interesting when we, you know, when you think about what does Leash have that's good. He's very calm. He's a bit like Spieth. He's got to get the tee shot in play or keep it away from those bunkers. He's the greatest up and down player we have on the tour, and he's a really super aggressive putter from about 10 foot and in. He's probably one of the best putters we have on the tour. People have said on this show where we've talked about, what if Leach just missed every green in regulation? What would he shoot? Would it probably be under par because he chips so good? So Leach knows that he has not won a major, and, of course, this is a big opportunity for him. So he'll be ready, and uh, watch out for the big fella. <laughs> Coming in at number nine, somebody whose name has to appear in a top 10 when it comes to a major. He makes no secret of the fact that playing in the majors every year, that's his main focus. And he's a different player. He, he admits it himself. When he plays a regular PGA Tour event to playing in a major, just has a different mindset. I think he struggles for that motivation. And Brooks Kepka. I mean, has the best scoring average when it comes to majors in general. We have him at number nine right now. Good form as well, coming off a fourth place and a fifth place finish. What do you think about Kepka and the Open? A major where he doesn't have the best track record, though. Yeah, I mean, there's no way you're having a major currently without Kepka in the top 10. I mean, I watched him really close at Tory Pines. He's just so calm. He understands when he makes a bogey. He stays relaxed. You know, he was only one loose shot from being right there in the US Open. He pulled his tee shot at 16 at Torrey Pine, didn't get it up and down. That was the end of it for him. Could have been right there with Rahm. So the advantage he has, Diane, is he played two or three years on the European tour before he came over to America. He's going to feel right at home over there. He, nothing at that course behind you is going to intimidate Brooks Kepka. He knows how he knows everything that needs to be known. It's all about for him getting comfortable where he's going to hit it off the tee. You know, we saw him play good at um, Kiowa. Kiowa, what Mickelson won, this would be as close to sort of the looks they get off the tee. There's sort of a lot of blind looks off this golf course. It's like you just got to hit it over that hill and hope for the best. And it's very unnerving when you're a young player or you have no experience about hitting these balls 
just into the horizon. There's no tree line fairways. I think this course has one tree on it. I think it's on number three. <laughs> one, one little tree that survived all that nasty weather for all these years. So, but anyway, uh, I think Brooks Kepka, you know, we all know about what he's all about. And this week is probably not going to be any different. Exactly. So Kepka at nine. And then coming in at number 10, this is a little bit of a wild card pick for the top 10. But my God, it's definitely warranted. He's 75 to one. So highest odds of anyone in our top 10. But coming off a fourth place finish at the Scottish Open, this guy has played this course before in the open he has just found this incredible form of late and you see him on the greens and think that he cannot miss <laughs> nobody fights harder than ian poulter so we're putting him at 75 to 1 as our number 10 this week i think this is like his 19th open championship it's a Ryder cup year and what does that mean it means that poulter is making putts I mean, I saw him at Colonial a few weeks ago make a 30-footer on 17, a 40-footer on 18. I saw him in the next week do the same, and he's just kept it going. But, Diane, this is the most emotional player that English or European or English golf has, and this will be a very much coming home week for him. And But he's playing well. You know, Poulter's come into opens before with pressure on him, uh, where he was higher up in the thinking, this week, he's got a free shot at this. He's out of the limelight. He's on the edge of the Ryder Cup. Probably they'll pick him anyway, but he's been super form. But more than that, he knows this golf course. He knows how to play links golf, and he's putting unreal. Probably better than anyone in the world right now. He hasn't won for a while. I mean, his last win came at the Houston Open in 2018, but... Uh, he plays best when there's something on the line. And for him, it was an invitation to the Masters the following week when he won that. He's had a second place finish at the Open in 08, um, a third place, a ninth place. He, he did play Royal St. George's in 2003 and in 2011. You know, nothing extraordinary to talk about. One missed cut and a tie for 46th. But Polder seems to just be a different player right now. He... Uh, I, it's a, I, I mean, I love seeing this in them, but he seems to be having so much fun and loving life out there. And it really shows in the results. Yeah, I think he's matured into a different style of player. I mean, he used to be brash and, and made a lot of noise as he went around and, and for whatever reason, but now he's relaxed. Yeah. And I think he, I think he realizes like we all do that this career thing is going to come to a crest and it's going to, it's going to go over the top and then it's going to go on into the sunset. And he's got this little bit of fresh of breath air on the backside, almost like a Steve Stricker. He's not quite that old yet, but you, you get my, you get my drift. And Poulter is right in this Westwood's another one. They're right in the backside of this crest and they're playing some of the best golf they've played their whole career. Yeah. So he probably isn't in the best of moods right now after the England loss, because I know that he flew from the Scottish Open after that fourth place finish. Didn't know if he was going to have to wait around for a playoff, but he got to Wembley for the second half of the game. <laughs> so he would have seen the extra tie and the penalties and the disappointment. But it may not be disappointment for Poulter this week. He is our number 10 for our Open Championship re-ranking. So our full top 10 then is DJ at one, 
John Ram at number two. At three, it's Patrick Cantley. Colin Morikawa at four. We have Jordan Smith at five. At six, Matthew Fitzpatrick. Xander at seven. Leishman at eight. Brooks Kepka coming in at nine. And then Poulter at 10. That's a good looking top 10 elk and a great mix for so many different reasons. Yes, as, as we said at the top of the show, we've thrown out all the statistics. We're looking for players that can play Lynx golf, have experience at Lynx golf. Some have more experience than others. Some have experience on this very course. But one thing about every one of those people in the top 10, they've played very good golf very recently. Yeah. So they're walking into this tournament with a lot of confidence, ready to take on whatever St. George's gives them. Right. On the way next on our tour report, we have three sizzlers to tell you about higher odds, guys that really made big jumps up in our re-ranking. And we've got a couple of big notable names that we've missed out of our top 10 that we have to talk about as well. It's coming up next on the tour report. Get in the game on the SG Tour Golf Gaming app and play four ball. It's a classic stroke play competition based on the aggregate scores of four players. Who makes your team? Well, pick four guys, one from each tier based on the current World Golf Rankings. Want a tip? You need four guys to make the cut. Get in the game on the SG Tour Golf Gaming app, available on iOS in the App Store. Well, this week we're going to see true quirky Lynx golf at Royal St. George's for the Open Championship. Now, Elk, we've gone through our re-ranked top 10 and there's a couple, three big names that are notably missing. The longest hitter on tour, the defending champion and Rory McIlroy, who's just his own category altogether. Let's start with Rory then. So why did we leave him out of the top 10? Where do you want to start? Well, Rory would be disappointed in himself, Diane, that he missed the cut in the Scottish Open last week. And I don't really know why. I mean, he's been, you know, he won not too long ago at Quail Hollow. His form since then has been a little up and down. He was looking really good at the US Open, but fell apart on the back nine at Torrey Pines. And if you're a punter, Diane, which I know you are a little bit, all those punters will be one hand will be putting the money down and the other hand pulling it back because we don't know who's going to show up in the first round at the Open Championship with Rory McIlroy. Diane, last year he was the dead-on favourite going into the first round in Ireland, blew up, shot an 80. Does anyone feel like that Rory is mentally ready for this week or is it just going to be a coin flip? This, this opening round thing seems to be such a question mark over Rory. And I mean, if you look at the last Open Championship at Portrush, okay, there was a lot of pressure and expectation heaped on him and he ended up missing the cut. He played the Irish Open just a few weeks ago and finished in a tie for 59th. As you say, missed the cut at the Scottish. So... There, there's not too many good feelings around Rory, but he has said that he really is working internally on his mind and his kind of mental state when it comes to attacking the Open Championship. But, I mean, at his odds, he's 18 to 1, so he's still one of the favourites. I remember Curtis Strange told me one time, one of the great players of my era told me, I don't have any problem when I get in contention. My big problem is getting in contention. And I think that applies to Rory McIlroy. It's hard for him starting out of the gate for whatever reason, whether it's uh, 
whether he has anxiety about the first round or whether he's not sure about his decision-making or he's trying to play too safe or too aggressive or whatever, once Rory gets in the contention, then all the normal stuff kicks in. It's the first couple of rounds and it makes it very hard to handicap him, Diane, because he is one of the most gifted players that we've ever seen. But do we trust Rory to miss all these bunkers off the tee and not get, you know, in one of these things and make a double? No, not yet. Can't do it yet. Maybe he's a midweek bet. And you talk about anxiety and first tee nerves on the Thursday. I mean, he's only human, so it's very relatable for us to hear that. And the next guy we're going to talk about is defending champion. He said earlier this week that he is going to be nervous. He's always nervous standing on the first tee. The first hole at Royal St. George's is so demanding anyway, (laughs) hitting that fairway. And he's been defending champion for two years. Whether that's going to have a bit of an impact, we don't know. But Shane Lowry, we left him out of the top 10 as well. It was the greatest golf story ever last year when he won. And I remember watching those videos of him celebrating with all the Irish people and the songs they sang. And what an absolute legend Shane Lowry was, you know, winning the Open Championship. I love the way the guy plays golf keeps the ball down, good putter. He's been in form a little bit in America. This will help him. He had a really good Irish Open a few weeks ago. But I just don't, I can't push him into the top 10, Diane, because the guys up there ahead are playing better than he is. But I still would love to see, see Shane Larry have a great week. Yeah. Uh, he's certainly earned it and, and he's been a tremendous defending champion. Yeah, there was something else funny because uh, they were asking him about all the COVID protocols and regulations this week, how they have to really stay in their bubble. And he was like, well, everyone thinks that I'm in the pub still celebrating this open win (laughs) every night anyway, which he said he's definitely not. So that's Shane Lowry. And then another notable name that we really missed out. And there's a huge amount of media attention on him this week, as always. Bryson DeChambeau, he's 33 to 1. So odds are slightly higher for Bryson. He has a new caddy on the bag this week. Elk, what do you make of that? Not sure what I make about the caddy. He's got to have one, so he he, he has to have one of those. But, you know, this course... Diane has a few tricks in store for Mr. DeJambeau. This course was designed, I don't know how many years, 100 plus or more years ago, but this is not a cut across corner. And Bryson likes to take a lot of statistics, a lot of yardages, a lot of barometric pressure. And you just can't play Lynx golf that way. He's the highest hitter that we have on the tour. Could you imagine going and trying to play some of these perched up greens with a super high ball flight? Someone may say, he'll knock it down. Well, he, he would if he could. So I didn't like the way he was swinging at the match, even though they won on the TV the other night. But no, I've got him off the board. I think things are scrambled for him right now. And Lynx golf is a feel. It's all about feel. How are you going to feel? That's why we're not using any stats this week. And the way I don't think Bryson has the feel. Yeah, and uh, that whole high ball flight in 20 mile per hour wins, that's a that's not a recipe for success. And he doesn't have Aaron Rodgers to carry him to victory this time. <laughs> Which, by the way, he totally did in the match. I mean, it was, we just didn't see that great play from Bryson. It was kind of overshadowed by the fact that his uh, his playing partner was doing so well. 
So we don't have him in our top 10 this week either. We're going to move on to some sizzlers because we've got three, na three names that we're going to rattle through right now of guys that really made big jumps up in our re-ranking this week. And the first one, we could not be happier to have Ryan Palmer. So he is 140 to 1 this week, played great at the Scottish Open, fantastic closing 64, and he ended up finishing in a tie for fourth. Palmer's played this course before as well. Well, we talked about Westwood and uh, Ian Poulter riding the backside of the crest of their age and then just playing some of the best golf. And anyone that's been around watching Ryan Palmer, the man from Texas, knows how to play the wind. Solid ball striker. What we're looking for here is all these different lies, uphill, downhill, side hill. Ryan Palmer knows all about that, Diane. Isn't it nice to see him come over there and finish fourth last week? That tells us. He's very comfortable over there, very good putter. Uh, you know, we're looking for styles of players this week, Diane. We've sort of thrown stats out the window in form, guys that have won recently or know what they're doing on this style of course. Ryan Palmer for us is, is spot on sizzler. Yes. Another one which makes me very happy too because he's Scottish and we have to get a Scottish guy in there when it comes to the Open Championship, Robert McIntyre. So he played the Scottish Open last week. Yeah, I think he'd be a little bit disappointed with finishing in a tie for 18th. Um, start of the week, he was right up there. But he is just, he's got such a great attitude. He's from this tiny little town in Scotland called Oban. He played in the, his first Open Championship in 2019 at Portrush and finished in a tie for sixth. He's a lefty. So I just think, you know, that he grew up playing Lynx golf. Robert McIntyre is really going to welcome the challenge of Royal St. George's this week. If this week was a match play event, and Robert McIntyre drew Dustin Johnson in the first round, there'd be massive amounts of money of Robert McIntyre upsetting Dustin Johnson, the number one player this week in the field. And why is that? Because he is an expert at this style of golf, and that changes everything. And that's why he's on the sizzle this week. Two wins on the European Tour. And by the way, he did play Dustin Johnson at the WGC Dell Technologies match play and he beat him. <laughs> oh, there you go. I didn't even know that stat. <laughs> so that is it. Robert McIntyre at 66 to 1. And our last sizzler is someone that you were really big on at 80 to 1. Great odds for someone who is in phenomenal form. Lucas Herbert. He won the Irish Open a couple of weeks ago. Just finished in a tie for fourth at the Scottish Open. So hello, Australian, and he loves Lynx golf, clearly. In form, big, strong Aussie, hits the ball a country mile. But the, more than anything is when, I, I should say this about any nationality, but when these guys, these young guys that have just won, get going, think about how excited they are to play golf and think about how much, you know, how, how, how their brain is not worried about anything. Mm -hmm. This kid is on a rocket ship, kind of like Higo, who we talked about about a month ago before we told you what that was going to happen with him. Here's another one. Lucas Abear. He's, what's he at? 80 to 1? He's 80 to 1, yeah. A lot of Aussies will be on that one, I can okay. tell you. 
Excellent. Right, so our three sizzlers this week for the Open Championship. Ryan, Palmer, Robert McIntyre, and is it Lucas Herbert or Herbert? No, Herbert. Is it? <laughs> Were you just trying to be fancy? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I was being fancy. Okay. Lucas Hebert. Lucas um, Herbert. I've let you off with this for the whole show, but tell us about your experience of playing in the Open at Royal St. George's. Well... Thanks for asking me, Diane. I had a, I think it was in 93, Greg Norman won the tournament. And uh, I think I was tie 46, something like that, 72, 71, 70, 72. Very consistent. But in, uh, uh, what was it, 11? 11, I opened this tournament with an 86. Can you imagine how bad I felt that night? But I did have a broken shoulder. I had a broken AC joint that I did while skiing. I thought, well, you know what? I'm just going to go anyway and play. But it was too much. I was in the rough all day, chipping it down the fairway and carted an 86, and that was the end of it. But uh, this course made me come over, Diane, because it's so intriguing. It's so unreliable. You, you just don't know what's going to happen when you hit your tee shot. And we're going to see a lot of that this week. It's not going to be drive it down the middle like we see players at the 15th at Augusta where it's perfect. No, it's going to bounce all over the place. I hope it stays dry and a little breezy would be my uh, perfect week. On to the final part of the Tour Report this week for the Open Championship and it's those dark horse picks. Now, Jay Kaplan, uh, has been busy here, there and everywhere. So he's going to send his picks in via a little video and I will have them for you in just a little minute. But I will start with mine. Now it's probably a good time to point out that Hank Levioda had another top 10 finish last week on the PGA Tour for the John Deere Classic. So that's three in a row. <laughs> and I couldn't have him as a dark horse pick last week because his odds were too good. So... He was one of our sizzlers, but I mean, I feel quite confident with my pick this week as well. And he is a staggering 350 to one. Now, I might add that when Darren Clark won, he was 200 to one at Royal St. George's. So Johannes Veerman is my pick this week. Now, he's American and I mean, I would forgive you if you haven't heard of him before. He played college golf at Texas A&M and Elk has been watching him for quite a while now. Um, he has a little bit of insight into how good this guy is playing. That's one thing, his results speak for themselves. Coming off a third place finish at the Irish Open and then an eighth place at the Scottish Open last week. So two really solid weeks of Lynx golf for the American. And I see no reason why he wouldn't keep that going. So at 350 to 1, there's going to be value in Johannes making the cut, top 20, even a top 10 if you want to go for it. So that is my dark horse pick for this week. As I said, Jay Kaplan is somewhere. So he was recording a little video with his and we will roll with them now. So Jay is here for those dark horse picks. We thought you were going to be a little bit absent, so we're very happy that you've managed to get it together for only the final major. Yeah, it's rare that I get anything together in my life, but this is a major and it's one of my favorite events of the year because I get to wake up early, early and watch golf and with something on the line with a course that we don't get to see and weather that seems atrocious and all that good stuff that comes along with the open championship. 
I'm so impressed with you in a lot of different ways, but in particular this week, because Veerman was way off the board, 350 to one. You rattled off the reasons why it makes total sense. Uh, I'll track your pick all week, and, and I hope you have a dark horse in your bag of tricks. Now, in my bag, the last few weeks has been a bag of poo because I've missed the cut left and right. And uh, Roger Sloan was the only guy that actually made the cut and he was nowhere to be found near a leaderboard. So I'm limping into the open championship. So I'm going to go back to two trusty names that I've used before and have really hooked me up with my dark horse. The first one is a guy that we love here and we've used them and we've talked about why we use them. And every time there's a windy event, this guy is at the top of our list whether it be Dark Horse, Sizzler, or a top 10 guy. He's actually won this season. He won in Honda, at Honda, hint, hint, which is another really windy course. And the one struggle he has is off the tee, but who's not going to struggle a little bit off the tee here? You're going to see a lot of shots into the unknown off the tee box. And as long as, as you guys have alluded to, you and Elk, staying out of bunkers is key, although this guy – having grown up as an Australian. And of course we compare everything to Royal Melbourne. There's plenty of sand on that. So he's going to be familiar if he does have to get out of it. And I just like this dude. It's going to be interesting to see if he can make a name for himself in a major. I think he can. He comes in at 250 to one. He got off to a hot start. He's leveled out a little bit. As you know, Diane, he's married to a former Miss Idaho. So this guy has a charmed life. I hope and think he's going to have a charmed week. My first dark horse pick is Matt Jones. And speaking of seasoned players, I'm going to stay with that theme for my second dark horse pick. Another guy who's had a tremendous season, and it's not really surprising. Uh, I think he's finally found his true identity. This guy is not just a dark horse, but he's a workhorse. This is a guy that plays all the time. So any adversity is going to fall off of his shoulders. And we've used them before and we've been smart about when we use them. Uh, We use them at the Texas Open because he seemingly has some kind of secret plan on how to get around that and either wins it or finishes second, which he did this year. And he comes across the pond ready to go. And wouldn't this be a capper on a career and I think kind of push him over into the folk hero status if he was able to sneak a major out and if he's ever going to sneak one out this kind of seems like a place for this guy to do it I think the fact both of my dark horse picks have the same Achilles heel which is off the tee box this guy is 158th on the PGA tour off the tee But every other number this week is so, so good. 46 in green and regulation, 39 in scrambling. His putting average is 31. And his late scoring average is 29, which I really, really like. So my second dark horse pick is the one and only Charlie Hoffman. Charlie Hoffman at 150 to 1, did you say? I did. That's his, I didn't say it. You said it, but go ahead and say it again because that is a steal. I feel like we have two steals as dark horses this week. Matt Jones, of course, at 250 and Charlie Hoffman 
at 150. So I'm ready to cash in and make a little bit of money. In fact, I'm going to go head to head Hoffman this week on Thursday and Friday. I just got to find a suspect that I can match him up against. Johannes Viermann. <laughs> you telling me he's American. That is the most non-American name I could make up. He sounds like a movie character. But I guess we'll see uh, what his deal is this week at the Open. So our dark horse picks this week for the Open Championship. All of our picks, a real mixed bag. And as we said, stats are really thrown out the window. So that means we have a lot of names with some really high odds to Momentum and Lynx Golf, two big boxes for us this week. I hope the picks work out well for you. Don't forget to play along on the SG Tour Golf Gaming app and we'll have all the information on our Secret Golf social media. And we'll see you next week. Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.